Hey friends, have you ever wondered why everyone seems to be a content creator these days? Our guest today suggested if Jesus were around today, he'd be making content to spread his message. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 343, Alex Caesar and Creating Culture. friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host, Eric Nevins. I am glad that you have decided to join us. Thank you for downloading. By the way, uh, two things I want to remind you about. If you are able, uh, you can always go to halfwaytherepodcast.com. One, you're going to find all the show notes for, I think we have 350 or so episodes now. So you can, uh, including all the bonuses, so you can you can go find all those there. But also, there's a button that says Patreon on it, and if you want to help support the show, you can use that button to do it. Five dollars a month uh, just goes a really long way. If not, I hope you just enjoy it and share it with a friend. Would you just let somebody know that? Hey, I listened to this episode, and I think you would really enjoy it. That's uh, the best compliment you can give. All right, let's dive into our conversation today, friends. Our our guest today, so. I'm really interested to hear uh, some of his story because he's he's absolutely achieved a lot of things. So from leading uh, the Texas A&M football team as captain to founding and scaling multiple uh, multiple multi-million dollar business. It's easy for me to say. Uh, our guest, he knows what it takes to succeed, uh, but he also wants to share that. So uh, he is going to talk with us about, you know, doing business to start uh, cultural transformation, which you know is something I care about. It's one reason we do this show to change the conversation. Uh, friends, our guest is Alex Caesar. Alex, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you so much, Eric. I appreciate <laughs> it. And congratulations, man. 350 plus episodes is yeah. not easy in the podcast world. Most people don't make it there. So congrats. Well, I still can't speak. So that's all right. But thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, you know what? If you had told me in 2015, that eventually we would have that many episodes. I wouldn't have believed you, but wow. here we are. So uh, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's a pleasure. And it's great to have you with us. So obviously I gave kind of some of those highlights. You, you're an achiever, like you're doing a ton of stuff, but I'd love to ask you a few other questions about your journey and yeah, your story absolutely. along the way. But uh, tell us a little more about where God has you and, and more about kind of who you are right now. Yeah. So first and foremost, the stuff that doesn't show up on a bio or a, mm -hmm. a quick brief sheet is that um, I am a man redeemed with a price that I could not pay. Uh, that's where I like to start all of my conversations. Uh, secondly, I am Deja's husband, soon to be Aubrey's father. Uh, got a baby, right. baby girl due in July. First so one? First one. So we're excited oh, about it. I'm um, actually in a different office now. Got kicked out of the home office, so <laughs> which is all good because I'm gonna have a mother-in-law, mother, uh, just delivered baby, all in one house. So it'll be uh, <laughs> packed. So I'm happy Indeed. to be outside. But um, so that, those two things. I'm still Miranda Caesar's baby, um, Alex Caesar, senior son, um, and most people know me as having played football at Texas A&M, graduated with an engineering degree there. Uh, went on to work for a company by the name of Opportune and Oil and Gas Consulting, um, and then transitioned into real estate, became the president of a few companies, bought a bunch of real estate. I think we ended up at about, uh, in my personal portfolio, about 340 units before we sold. Um, and now I'm focused on teaching other workplace leaders how to create cultures that we crave for. So how do we 
actually build culture, uh, starting with what is culture, why does it matter, and then how it's created, um, and doing that from a biblical angle. Uh, so I'm doing that on the corporate side, and then also mm-hmm. very involved in education, still speaking at schools, doing district convocations for students and teachers, and also keynotes for students as well throughout the school year. So that's a little bit about me. Oh, I love that. Okay. All right. Well, I want to hear some of your story and kind of how you got to these places because nobody gets there, right? Without, yeah, you know, there's a lot, of, through some things. a lot of Absolutely. stuff that goes into that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to, I want to hear some of that. Where are you from? I'm from a small town in East Texas by the name of Orange, Texas. Um, if okay. you're driving on IT and it's the last town in Texas before you cross over into Louisiana. Um, oh, gotcha. So very small town, uh, humble beginnings. Um, Played, you know, obviously played football all throughout my yeah. little league, middle school, high school career. Uh, received a football scholarship to play ball at Texas A&M. Um, actually, crazy story behind that was God kind of his hand over everything is that I did not have a scholarship offer heading into my senior year in high school, which is kind of a uh, not a great sign if you're going to end up playing SEC football. So. Um, it was divinely orchestrated and them had a traveling camp. They call it a satellite camp. It was actually the last year they could have those types of camps. And, um, I showed up and long story short, they offered me a scholarship to play football at a position I'd never played before and end up stepping on the field, starting as a true freshman. So, wow. But there was a lot of hardship just to get me to that point, injuries, um, a bunch of things that went into that. So. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Um, okay, so I'm just going to confess this to you right up front. I'm a baseball fan, not a football fan. So <laughs> All I, good. Don't, I don't get it. <laughs> so I, I, I like, I live in Denver. So you just I, see I've a bunch got, of guys on the field just running around chasing well, the ball with no. <laughs> All right. So I, I've learned to enjoy football because we live in Denver and it's a football oh, town. Yeah. Like we have the, we have the Colorado Rockies, but don't, nobody's gonna, that's just a nice place to drink beer in the summer. And all. <laughs> but, uh, but the, the Broncos are really where it's all out here. Um, and I don't really quite understand college at all, but then basketball, like whichever, because it's March right now, friends, when we're recording this, so it's all the rage. Uh-huh. All I hear when I hear, when I see basketball is squeak, 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 squeak. <laughs> like, what is that? I don't know. No, no, thanks. Baseball is much better sounding. Anyway, so that's kind of my rundown on sports. So I'm going to ask some maybe uh, not, uh, you know, not, not clued in questions here, but I want to know. So you, I love that you, you know, can kind of see God's hand kind of leading you through that. What was your family like? Was it a Christian family there in, in Orange, Texas? Yeah. So uh, my, my grandfather was a pastor. Uh, my dad okay. is also a pastor bivocational, so he has a full-time job, but also pastors a church as well. Um, and my grandfather was an entrepreneur slash pastor, so uh, he had a concrete business and a real estate business as well. So those uh, ties or those roots, uh, uh, is a better word, run deep in my family. Um, so those pillars, those people are a very large portion of why I am the way that I am. Uh, my grandfather used to tell me, he said, if you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you know that it didn't place itself there. So <laughs> there is no me without a bunch of other people involved along the way. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so what was faith and what, what was God like for you growing up and kind of when did your faith become your own? Yeah, so um, obviously grew up in the church. As often as the doors were open, I was there. So that was Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday service, Sunday night. Um, <laughs> missed a lot of meals on Sunday, 
But, uh, <laughs> right. But yeah, I've, I've been in the church my whole life. That did not become, there's a quote that says, you know, that going to church doesn't make you any more Christian than standing in the garage makes you a Cadillac. So it did not become personal to me until the age of 13. Uh, it was something that I kind of intentionally ran from. Um, I was kind of that typical PK pastor's kid that was a little hard-headed uh, and wanted to do things his own way, wanted to blaze his own path. Um, but at from a very early age, I felt the call of God on my life and I fought it, resisted. <laughs> and it was a service one night in April and the preacher was preaching. And I literally just like, I had squirmed in that seat one too many times and I just <laughs> could not resist that night. And I surrendered my life to Christ and, and, and it's been a, I guess, 15 year journey now. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting, I can totally see, but so not everybody has this experience, but I can see for you, uh, you know, as a pastor's kid, it's normal for a 13 year old boy to like, I want to have my own thing. I want to have my yeah. own, like, you know what I mean? Uh, but then when it's a spiritual thing, it's a little bit different, right? It's, yeah, absolutely. And then, um, I started preaching at 16. Oh, okay. So it's yeah. kind of like you resist it. You don't want to following those footsteps and everyone in the church is kind of like, Oh, you can speak. Like we see it. And I'm just like, no, I want to be a football player. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Okay. So you've always kind of had that. And I, I think it's real interesting too, that your grandfather was a, was an entrepreneur too. Right. And yeah. kind of put that into your head and your, and your dad also, right. Was your dad also, did you say that? Did I remember, remember so that? he, he's uh in the marketplace, but he's, he's, he's got his own business. Yeah. yeah he own, works yeah. um for a chemical plant. So oh, there you he go. Okay, runs, right. they call it, I guess, DCS boards, basically all of the plastics and everything that we get, he makes the batches for those chemicals. So he's pressing buttons and looking at the monitor. That's fascinating. So yeah, there you go. That's good. Yeah. But okay. So anyway, so this kind of ran in your family. You notice this call right away. People are noticing it in you. Right. How, how, so as it's becoming your own, because you have to grow in mm -hmm. that and, and develop your own understanding. Absolutely. How did that, how'd that happen for you? So I just, I honestly fell in love with God. Um, I fell in love with the word. I read more than probably most in seminary would like, it was just something that was, um, if I wasn't, you know, involved in school or playing sports, like all of my waking hours, the last time I played a video game, I was, I believe in middle school. And that's not typical of a middle school, high school age wow, yeah. um, child. So it was just something that I fell in love with. I started to study the preachers of old. Um, I wanted to know everything I could know about God's word, um, how to articulate it, how to explain it, how to describe and also with a little bit of, you know, gifting involved in there to where I was able to see things that someone my age should not be able to easily interpret or see or get the point of what the scripture is saying. Um, and it was just something that I fell in love with. And that was a part of my daily life every single day. What preachers did you study? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I'm just kind of a, a, a church history guy, I guess. Um, so yeah. I went way back into like the African-American church as well. Um, so, I mean, you obviously people think of guys like, um, which I guess, I don't know if he was alive during my lifetime, but the Billy Grahams of the world, but I went even like further than that. So like um, 1600, 1700 old English type pre, I just wanted to read everything I could get yeah, my, yeah. my hands on. Uh, Leonard, um, I think it's Ravenhill, Ravencraft, Leonard Ravenhill. 
Um, obviously, all of the guys that people know their names now, the TD Jakes of the world and things, things like that. But sure. I really just started to dive in and study church history, church leaders, influential, influential uh, communicators. Um, what made yeah. what made someone what made someone draw a crowd? Like, why did um, people show up to hear? Martin Luther King Jr. speak? Mm-hmm. Why did people show up to hear, um, you know, whatever it may be, whatever orator or, or pastor or preacher it was, why did people want to listen to them? What made them that. that way? So, um, yeah. I love that. So I was, I was wondering like, yeah, if you're going back into the, you know, where, wherever, 15th, 16th, 17th yeah. century. R.C. Sproul. I mean, all those guys. Yeah. Know. Well, he's not that old, but that's Yeah. Right. But I'm just saying like all of the, <laughs> history I was looking at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. Um, but what I was wondering about is if there were other preachers that were kind of interesting to you, uh, particularly you mentioned the African-American tradition, because that's one that, uh, honestly, I, I grew up in Iowa, which is, so there's not, <laughs> it's just not, that's not a tradition I'm, I'm familiar yeah. with so as, as closely as I'd like to be. So like, were there preachers, especially that stood out to you that you studied that you really gleaned a lot from? Yeah. So, um, I don't want to rank them per se, but no, you a guy, a guy like who um, I had to stop myself because I was about to say number one, <laughs> but a guy <laughs> who would um, definitely have been a a trailblazer and thankfully is a guy who's still among us and preaching right now. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans is one mm-hmm. of a kind um, to be. I think he was the first doctoral student who was African-American at um, Dallas Theological Seminary. Oh, wow. uh, so his, his teaching, so I, I mean, I've studied all of the different, you know, charismatic, evangelical, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to see the different styles and the different history and the different way of communicating the word of God and the gospel, um, Dr. Tony Evans is a guy who just, you know, he sticks to the gospel, but communicated, communicates it well. Um, and I think he is a guy who has crossed boundaries to where he's yeah. in both, um, both sectors, right. um, Another guy who who comes to mind um, would be H.B. Charles Jr. Um, okay. And he, H.B., started preaching, I believe he was pastoring um, at the age of 16 or 17 after his father passed away in Los Angeles. So just the way that he um, communicates the gospel and he is also another guy who can go both ways, so to speak. In football, we have players play offense and defense. Um, mm-hmm. In the church where we have pastors who can preach in any congregation and still get the word across and have it communicated in a way that the audience receives it. Yeah, I like that. I was just curious maybe there, because I'm a huge believer in church history, right, in studying that. Because um, what I'm hearing you say is digging into those those preachers and into uh, church history help shape you absolutely to, to be a person of trust right and i'm convinced that's it like we need theology we need to understand both the old and new testament uh but we also have to understand our church history because god's people have certain experiences that's actually what kind of one of the premises of this show i used to say i haven't said it in a long time but i used to say uh that one of the things i try to do with halfway there here is um it's it's in the tradition yeah. of Acts, right? The book of Acts, mm-hmm. right? So telling the stories of God's people, that's what I'm trying to do because um, that's how we get encouraged, right? That's how we learn about what God has has done. And we learn that it's not just me right, yeah. going through these kinds of things. So I yeah. love that. I'm big anyway, on you, like, why yeah. do we do what we do? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so as a child who, you know, had, had friends from all different backgrounds and some would get out of church at, you know, they go to church at nine o'clock and be out by like 1030. Whereas me, I'm like in church all day. And I'm just like, why are we here so long? Like, what's the difference? And I, as I begin to dig into church history, I realized it was a place of expression um, mm-hmm. in the you know, political and all of those things in the African-American yeah. community. And I was like, oh, that's why we have the big church hats and the nice church dresses, because it was the only place that they could just kind of let loose, so to speak, and fully express themselves and talk about political things and civil rights movement. So um, yeah. I was like that. And now it's obviously evolved, but it's still very long and traditional so i'm just (laughs) but i wanted to know like where did those things come from in 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 Uh, any other fashion or or facet um after i went to college um i was in a predominantly um white institution texas and university and so i was very involved in evangelical circles and i was like oh this is interesting it's very different um you know from the the way that the preacher preached to the way that worship was conducted, but I wanted to know the why behind all of those things and to be Mm. kind of a a bridge builder and have empathy and understand people. Like, why do you do it like that? Oh, that makes sense. I get your experience. I understand like now your service makes sense to me. So yeah, it's just something that fascinates me, but yeah. Interesting. I, I, me too. So I absolutely love that. I, I'm a big believer in the streams of Christianity. You might say, right. That there's all these different traditions and we can learn from all of them. Right. And so I, I really, I really appreciate that. Was there anything besides curiosity? Was there anything that like, uh, confused you or that you were, you were kind of skeptical of? So I had an experience, um, this is after I'd already come to faith and, um, I got involved in apologetics, um, just from my studying and really once I became, or once I went to college, you have people from all different backgrounds, people who'd never been to church before people who have been in church their whole lives and questions start to raise. So, you know, the Bible says to be, re- be ready uh, to give an answer about the hope that lies within you. So people begin to question me. It's like, well, why do you do it like that? Well, have you thought about this? And I'm like, hmm, been in church my whole life. I'm like, that was never a question. That was an absolute. We never questioned it. So I begin to not question, but investigate and understand and be able to defend my faith. Um, that led me on a, a two-year journey of apologetics and understanding you know, Christian history and all of the, the common um, arguments, um, whether it be the validity of the Bible or uh, the deity of Christ and him you know, being crucified and risen and to find um, secular texts that witnessed that happening, people who had no reason to write about this risen Christ who did, it, it was completely against their agenda. But to find those historical documents and writings of people who testify of this faith that we have um, helped me to be able to better articulate and tell and minister to other people about the hope that lies within me. So that was a very interesting experience my freshman and sophomore year in college. That is interesting. And I love how you embraced the learning, right? And kind of dove dove into that. Um, yeah. Did you have a particular argument or a particular thing that really was convincing and, and kind of moving for you in apologetics? So one was the the text outside of the Bible that supported what we believe in the Bible. Uh, so that was one. And I'll say this, mm-hmm. it, it really came to a point of 
just this almost desperate questioning, like, God, please just give me something. And I opened up the, the Bible and I was reading, and I believe it was about the um, the blind man who was healed. And you know, there's a lot of blind people who were healed, but I'm going to make the story make sense. And they're questioning him of like, how did this happen? Who did it? And, and basically what he tells him is, look, whether he's this or that, I don't know. All I know is I once was blind and now I see. And Christ just kind of flipped it and began to show me all of my experiences with him to where it was like, look, we can argue about um, if this, you know, Jay is supposed to be here. <laughs> like, I mean, just really finite, you know, details, but I can't deny what's happened to me. I can't deny that I changed as a person the night I gave my life to Christ. I can't deny what has happened to me. I can't deny time and time again where I've seen God show up and show out in my own life. Um, and then obviously there's a lot of things that support the Bible as well, but my own personal experience has made it undeniable in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really tough to argue with a personal experience, isn't yeah. it? Right? Like people people have them. And that's one reason we do the show the way we do, right? I'm not very good at telling people what to do or believe or think, right? But I can tell you what my experience yeah. is. I can This help, is what I happened for me. You. That's right. And if that's what you want, I do believe that God is faithful every single time. Absolutely. Those who seek shall find, right? That's what he promised. So I love that. Okay. Well, really interesting. I, I love that kind of journey that you went on to like to study things and your curiosity is really inspiring. I'm, I don't know if you can see my, you can't read it because it's blurred out here, but my media company is called Get Curious Media. Oh, so nice. That's <laughs> because that's what I'm all about. Uh, so you're inspiring me. All right. So I'm, I'm interested. I didn't ask you much about, about football, but you did. So you had this experience where you were able to get into uh, school, you didn't think you were going to get into school. It was kind of a rough no. road. Was, was, did God feel present to you during that? Or what, what was that Whew. situation like? That was a tough journey. Um, because I felt like that was where I was destined to be. Um, so it's one thing when you, when you feel it, but nothing in your yeah. world looks like it. So it's just kind of like, I know I have this ability, but man, I just can't even stay on the field. I'm injured every single year. Um, and at the end of it, I was just kind of like, okay, God, like this doesn't make any sense. Um, I'm probably one of millions to be honest. One, it's not many people who play in the SEC in football, but number two, most of those guys are highly recruited. They have multiple offers heading into their senior year, probably sometimes sophomore and freshman year, like big time guys start to get scholarship offers. Yeah. I'd have anything heading into the season. And they had a scholarship um, left over essentially from the year before because I ended up leaving high school and graduating early to take that scholarship. So, oh wow, it was it was just so many different things that happened. Um, How did you make that decision? That was was that a hard decision to make to leave early, or were you like, yeah, I'm going? No. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't very hard. Um, I, I, I didn't miss like, much. Yeah. I mean, I missed one semester of high school. Um, okay. No, I'd do it all over again. <laughs> You're like, heck yeah, let's go. <laughs> I don't blame you. You're probably right. Because <laughs> football in Texas is a big deal. Right? Like that's very, a, yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah. I've seen Friday Night Lights. That's yeah, there good. you go. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Um, so you were wondering if it was even going to happen and it kind of came through for you and and you did it. What Did you learn anything? Because you were – so I had, explain to me how this happens. You were – heard and not like barely get it. And then 
you know, your bio says you were the captain. So like, I don't, yeah. so maybe <laughs> did you, do you have some on-field heroics? I don't know about like, tell me about like well, what, what happened. I held my own. Um, I was, okay. I was a solid player, but I should have looked you up on YouTube. I the, didn't. The thing That's that it. happened was, so I played running back my whole life. I showed up and essentially I ran a 40 yard dash and it was at my school. So they were able to talk to my principal and high school coach. They raved about me. Um, I, I ran a very fast time in the 40 yard dash. Um, so they put me in a different position. I'd never played before, had a solid camp. They offered me a scholarship, graduated early, came in, had no clue what I was doing at this position, learned it and ended up starting in the, as a true freshman that first year. Um, and just kind of continued to work my way through it. But the thing of, about being a team captain was leadership. So it wasn't just, I was the best player. Okay. It wasn't that I was the best player on the field. It was that my teammates saw who I was off the field and they saw who I was in workouts and they saw who I was on the field. Um, that's what made me a team captain. Okay. Cause you were showing up for the, for the work. Yeah. Yeah. I was a workhorse. Yeah. Interesting. Sometimes I don't think this is valued enough. I mean, we talk a lot about hard work as Americans sometimes, but I don't think we value enough the idea that showing up for those things with the right attitude, with the right, um, you know, mindset, I guess really does an awful lot for you. Right. Absolutely. That, that, yeah. I mean, that is my story all the way across the board. So everything you read mm. to start this podcast um, is due to a God who saved a village who raised and a bunch of hard work. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I love that. Okay. Um, so then you, you leave school, you, you graduate, right. Mm -hmm. And you go on to like, get it, get into business. Um, I wanted to ask you this. How did you, how'd you learn that hard work? Where'd that come from? Yeah. So my dad was, um, you know, mentioned his, he was bivocational pastor and in the workforce. Uh, my parents had me as teenagers. So it didn't start off as, you know, my dad having the job that he has now. Um, he actually turned down scholarships because he had a, a child on the way, went to the military, uh, honorably discharged for medical reasons pretty soon thereafter. I think he only did maybe a year or two, um, but came home and my dad's day job slash night job. He probably worked on average 12 to 16 hours. Like he, he's a workhorse. I mean, my dad works hard. Wow. He, I don't want to work as hard as he does physically. Like it was, it was, it was insane. Um, but he, what he did, what um, is known as throwing sacks, which means that he worked on a railroad or rail car and they would pull up with bags of flour, bags of rice. And oh, yeah. uh, I used to play with his hooks as a child. So he had these, it was like two bars that you would hold in your hand. And on the edge of it, it was like metal hooks. So it, it was like claws. So you could grab the bags and throw them. So he would unload and load rail cars all day long, 50 pound bags for 12 wow. hours, eight hours. Um, and then he'd come home, work his eight hours, come home a couple hours. He's back out the door working the night shift. Um, so that's what my dad did to kind of mm. take care of a family as a teenager. Um, and then my mom, same deal. She started off in housekeeping at hotels. Next thing you know, she's opening um, new investments for um, and very and work, working working very closely with the owners that are buying these properties and going in and opening new hotels. Um, so everything about my upbringing is just hard work. Um, I didn't yeah, know yeah. I didn't know anything else. There were no handouts, no excuses. 
Um, so it's just kind of where I come from. You didn't have the option. No, you didn't know. No, it didn't know it was an option. Interesting. Okay. So then you graduate and then you move uh, into business. Tell, tell me about that and tell me how God's led you in that. Yeah. So I went to work for a consulting firm for a year, um, planned to be there much longer. Um, it's doing some process and technology conversion. So essentially what happened, I was uh, working for a company and we would get staffed by private equity groups doing these multi-billion dollar deals, buying power plant assets. I go in and convert all of the technology over to new ownership. Um, about a year into that, I'm at, I'm in Rhode Island. Actually, I was traveling all over. I get a call from a guy that I met in college and I met him. And when I met him, I was in his backyard fishing through a friend of a friend. I had no clue who this guy was. So I'm across the lake fishing that night, beautiful lake house. I mean, everything sunset. And I see this guy walk out and the house, if you, if you, if you've seen the house or if you saw the house, you would know what I'm going to say next this guy had done something well in life. Like you don't buy that house without being good at something. So he walks out of his back doors and it's these huge, just kind of metal um, French doors, so to speak. And he's about seven feet tall. Literally he's six eleven. Wow. And I, I look across the lake and I go, Oh, it all makes sense. So I'm thinking he's like a retired NBA player or something. So I paddle across the lake. I'm there with about five teammates that night. And um, I was the only person who walked up to him. I got out of my boat, shook his hand, introduced myself. And I just told him, thank you for allowing us to come and fish in your yard. That was it. That conversation ended up being a little bit longer. Um, but that was, you know, the brunt of what I, what I said that night. We talked about a few other things, books and things like that. And um, he told me if I ever need anything, I was very interested in real estate in college to so give him a shout. I um, sent him a message about two weeks later, and that conversation turned into a friendship that turned into a mentorship. And um, whenever I left, he joked whenever I left college that I would come back and take over for him one day. And um, he called me a year later and asked if I would come back. And I came back a year later. He was asking me to become the president. I told him no. <laughs> and because I thought president meant more of kind of like administrative paperwork. And I was like, uh, I want to go buy more property. I don't have any um, interest in just sitting in the office all day. And we negotiated. And one day I walked into his office and he brought it up again. And I said, what does the president do? And he said, whatever you want to do. And I said, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So became the president of a company, um, started another company as well alongside it. Um, so that company was a real estate management company, uh, had about 25, 20 to 25 employees, a um, couple hundred vendors, a couple of thousand residents uh, in the portfolio. And um, so I managed that, managed all of the real estate and also started an acquisition, acquisitions company alongside that. I started buying real estate, looked up a few years, few years later. Uh, and had 340 units in my personal portfolio with him as a partner as well. Um, so it all started with me being grateful and me saying thank you and me being willing to take the information he gave me, the books, read them, do do the hard work, so to speak. And um, it turned into a couple of uh, titles and, and companies and dollars and everything else a little bit later. So that's how it uh, yeah. came to be. And then um, about... Less a little, little bit, yes, less than a year ago, 
um, I got the call that it was time for me to do something else. Didn't have any yeah. plans on leaving. Just purchased like a new RV park and um, didn't have any plans on going anywhere. And it was very clear. And God was telling me it's time for me to move on. So I did what I normally do in instances like Wait, that. How, how was it clear? What does that mean? Um, so I get this kind of unction on a normal Saturday. I'm just kind of doing some yard work, moving around the house. And it was just kind of not an audible voice, but internally, it was just a strong, it's time for you to go. I'm like, man, am I, am I losing it? Like, what's going on? So I called my dad. And I said, hey, man, I feel like God's kind of whispering to me that it's time for me to move on. And this is what made it really clear. My dad responded and he said, oh, yes, son, I knew that. I'm thinking, what? <laughs> I said, what do you mean you knew that? He said, I had a dream and you were packing up your office. I said, okay. I, pre I said, when were you going to tell me? He said, it's not my job to tell you. It's my job to confirm. So that's what made it crystal clear to me amongst a few other things. But um, it was time for me to go. Had a what I thought would be a tough conversation with my partner. Um, he knew <laughs> uh, also that he's like, I didn't know how long I could keep you. I knew you were going to eventually kind of get more into the speaking world and do some things on your own. So mm -hmm. um, he saw it on the, the handwriting on the wall as well. So um, I started making movements, started kind of to bring him back into the flock because he was as retired, he's 30 plus years my senior. He was as retired as he's uh, ever been and um, kind of brought him back into the business, uh, transitioned some assets over and... Um, I went home. I had been working on some biblical entrepreneurship things, writing and, and speaking as well. And um, I had about 30 different things on my whiteboard at home. And another kind of unction. I looked up and the first seven things on the board, I got the prompting that that was how culture was created. I took that and ran with it and developed a curriculum about, mm -hmm. you know, culture. And the seven things on the board were vision, mission, purpose, core values, branding, team building, and authenticity. Um, so I just kind of took that and ran with it and drew from experience as a captain, as a president and, and, um, created this curriculum and, um, going around teaching it to organizations. And, uh, so just kind of God's hand has been all over, yeah. <laughs> all over my life. So I love that. I appreciate you sharing that story because there's so much, I think what, what we all really want is a burning bush, right? Like somebody yeah. for God yeah. to just kind of show us. And it almost never is like that, Moses. right? That's, <laughs> that's recorded because it was unique, right? But there's other stories. I mean, you know, I'm trying to think of another story. Uh, who's the guy that goes to find, is it, uh, is it Isaac or Jacob? They go. I think it's for Isaac. They go to find him a wife, right? And like God leads him to this. Oh to yeah, the, so yeah, to, to the, the, the well. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not a burning bush. It's not this huge thing. It's just a. Uh, he prays and he says, "God, lead me to this person," and he sees, yeah, a woman, and then it turns out the circumstances confirm it. Anyway, my my point is, it's not always like that. And so, like you, you go okay. You had some guide posts posts on the way, but you were willing to to go. I think this is yeah. what God's saying. Well, I mean, you were open to it. Look at the life of Abraham. God tells right. him, you know, I will do this. And, you know, he says through your sea, you know, as, as many as the, the sand <laughs> on the shore and the stars in the skies. Um, but if you, if you look at that, he's given this promise and then he waits and he waits and he waits and he waits. And then he has his kid and then he tells him to sacrifice him. And he's like, okay, <laughs> this is interesting. He gets through that. And then he says, go to a land. I'll show you. 
And if you look at that, the, the, the construction of that sentence, it's very ironic. Go, I'll show you. Most mm-hmm. of us want to go once you've shown us. <laughs> right. So it's like, no, right. no, give me the directions first, show it, make it crystal clear. Sometimes it's not clear. Um, and sometimes God will literally give you one word and he waits until you take a step and he'll show you something else. Um, yep. Even if you look at the sim- the symbolism of him being a lamp unto our feet, those lamps back in the days, it literally like tie it on their ankle and it only lighted the way so far. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, right. It was not a, a 1000. Yeah. Uh, you it, know, it wasn't your car like headlights. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> like literally like step by step. God, I'm trusting you to show me the way. Um, so sometimes it is like that in my life to where God's like, here's yeah. a step, take it. I'll give you details later. And that was kind of, I mean, I knew that was clear for me to go. No clue where I was going. I just knew I needed to go. So, yeah. Yeah. And he kind of provided the way. So tell me about, have you ever had a time, I asked this question and maybe you haven't and that's okay. Uh, you, you can answer it however you like, but I want to ask it. Have you ever had a time when you felt like God was far away or distant or not speaking to you like that? Yeah. Um, I'll have to go back to those two years in college. So when that apologetic study first started, mm. it started with confusion. So when I, I had these questions kind of coming at me that I really didn't have answers to just yet, um, that was a long two years. Now I, I'm able to walk in victory and tell that story and um, articulate kind of the why behind why, what we believe. But that was a hard two years. Um, I think it started probably maybe towards the end. So we call it a year and a half, the end of my freshman year, all throughout my sophomore year. That was tough. So, yeah. and I was a guy who on the team, everyone looked to when it came to answering questions about the Bible or faith. Um, and some of those questions I just could not answer. And it was very much a God, where are you prayer? God, show me God. I need you. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll admit my faults. There was some anger there as well. Um, I was sure. very upset at not having the answers immediately. Um, that was tough. And what did I, you learn from that? I, so I found myself literally driving in the middle of the night, grabbing the wheel and screaming and just crying out like, God, like you're going to have to show me. And it was very weird because it got a little bit deeper than just apologetics. I mean, it was other religions and a bunch of other stuff that I was, you know, studying Mm. and to have your foundation question to have your foundation. It's very weird because the thing that you've depended on, you're kind of like, that's the thing that's in question. So it's like, who do I run to? Should I pray? Or is that, no, do I pray about this? Because that's kind of proving the Bible with the Bible. So it was very much, um, that was hard. Um, so yeah. 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 <laughs> no, a I tra- love that. And trying I think, moment. I think all those things are really normal for that experience. Right. So feeling uh, and being angry. I actually wrote a little ebook called uh, what to do when you're mad at God, oh. which is free on my website, guys. It, 
you can get it halfway there, podcast.com. But that is because I wanted people to know that this happens, right? Like uh, Habakkuk gets, I use Habakkuk. He yeah. gets, he gets <laughs> labeled as a complainer, but he's not a complainer. Yeah. He's upset. He's mad. And God never chastises him for being mad. Yeah. What God says instead is don't worry, I got it. Yeah. And then Habakkuk says, I don't like your answer. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's terrible. What are you doing? Yeah. He, and he says, he basically, I got that too. He's questioning how can God be good when bad things happen? Right. That was the right. premise of his question. Um, and that's actually the passage I, I use to teach vision organizations. You know, he tells them write the vision, make it plain, things like that. Um, but yeah, that was he's like, How can this be happening if you're yeah. God? How can this be happening if you're good? Um, and sometimes what we call bad things happen to good people. And it's just like, how can this happen? And, and then when you realize the gospel and its totality and, you know, the fallen state of man and uh, all of those things that kind of cause some of the things that we call bad, um, it's not, it does not catch God by surprise. <laughs> yeah. And just because he, God has not necessarily moved in the way that you want him to or expect him to, doesn't mean that he doesn't see, um, and, and God will triumph, triumph victoriously. Um, and we know that we've, that's the great thing about the gospel. We we've, we've literally seen the end of the game. And I right. think about, you know, I'm a football guy. So, or any sport, if you're going to a baseball game and you literally know with 100% assurance, you win the game, your team wins strikeouts won't get you down. Misplays won't get you down. Drop balls won't get you down because you know, guess what? We win. And that's the beauty of what we believe. That's the beauty of the gospel is, Hey, whatever's happening right now in this world, you know, we're halfway there. So whatever's happening right now, we know the end we win. So that's the beautiful thing. Amen. Amen. I could watch the 2011 world series over and over again. Because yeah. you know, know, I know you know what happens. <laughs> right. I love it. Uh, that's great. Uh, also, I think this is going to be a good year for us. So we'll see what happens. But yes, you're right. I, I agree with you. So um, that is fantastic. I want to talk a little bit about culture uh, because I know this is kind of your thing yeah. and this is your, is your framework. And I want, because I, I want to just inspire like friends, I want you to to think about this and how we do it. I think Christians think a lot about culture, right? But we think about it from a very against framework. You right. know what I mean? So yeah. like we're against culture. When <laughs> in reality, they have their own culture. We exactly. have our own culture. And it's some of it is equally as toxic as some of the stuff that's happening out in the world. So talk to us a little bit about culture, how we can think about it and what we can do to maybe help shape it. Yeah, from a biblical perspective, and and that's kind of where I start when I talk about building culture, even if you look at the, and I boil it down to three words when I talk about what is it, and then obviously why does it matter and how it's created, uh, but beliefs, behaviors, and results. So how do we influence and, and define beliefs and therefore influence behavior that produces results? That's all it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have, you know, different ways of vision, mission, purpose, core values, your brain, your team, and, you know, building that culture authentically, but that's the root of it. And even the word itself, culture is a very biblical thing. If you look at what God told Adam, first thing, take care of it. The root of culture 
cultus or you know the latin or whatever is literally to care for so you mm-hmm. cultivate that's where we get the word cultivate from or culture is growing and so it's literally just us it's a god-given responsibility for us to steward the things that we're placed in charge of so when we think about culture as christians we should shape culture we should steward everything that we're placed in charge of where you know we're stewards of everything and owners of nothing everything that we are blessed to steward should be a direct representation and us honoring our heavenly father that we perform good works and they see those good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. So as a Christian um, church, we should very much be involved and very much shaping uh, culture Um, because if we don't, we know who will by default. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So we, um, we have to do it. I, so interestingly, so what my definition of mindset is this, uh, your mindset is the collection of beliefs that, um, lead to actions, which determine your results, right? Which is basically the same thing. This is the formula. This is how it works, right? This is what, and it doesn't matter, you know, whatever you're doing. I, I preach that to my podcasters, right? My Christian podcasters, uh, because I want them to have a mindset of showing up, right? There is dependence on God, but there, you also yeah. have to show up as a partnership. So all of that is really powerful. Um, do you, I, I'm also, so one of the reasons I'm passionate about podcasting is because I think it's a great opportunity for Christians to bring the gospel to bear on the world, on their niche. Yeah. So I serve podcasters like one lady has a quilting podcast. One lady has a podcast for grief, people going through grief. One guy has a leadership podcast. One works for, with writers. One one lady works with, uh, she talks about legacy, but she talks about hospitality. I mean, all these broad ideas, right? But they all have one thing in common, Jesus, right? Yeah. That they're bringing the gospel to bear on it. Can you? What do you think about content creation as a culture-shaping tool? Yeah, so... <laughs> I think if Jesus was here, you know, in the flesh, he'd probably be a content creator. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you, if you look at, I heard a pastor say one time, he thought that if Jesus showed up, they were like, what do you think he would do? Like, what would be his profession? And his answer was he, he thought that Jesus would make movies. And if you look at how he spoke, he was very illustrative. He's very Mm -hmm. depictive. So it's when he's, giving examples. He didn't just give information. He gave a story behind that information. He told a story to make it easily understandable, sometimes to make it not understandable to the people that he did not want to get the message. But um, if he's speaking to his disciples, he says, hey, this is like uh, somebody went out to sow seed and here's what happens. And they would have been very familiar with that analogy. Or this is like when a man gives his servants talent and you know the weight and the currency, uh, they would have been familiar with that analogy. So um, us being content creators, if we don't create, we know who will. And that begins to shape the narrative. If we don't speak up, we know who will, and that will shape the narrative. So I think we have a responsibility to create. I think we have a responsibility to um, care for, to steward. So is content creation everyone's thing? No, just like singing and, and dancing and playing football isn't everyone's thing. So but for the people that God is calling to, I think you have a great responsibility to uh, influence and define and shape culture. Yeah, absolutely. I'm convinced. One of the reasons I do this show the way that I do is because 
I read a book by Oz Guinness and he convinced me that um, only I got to talk to him about this one time that that's in the show notes, but um, he, I, I told him this was not the point of his book at all. So I think he was like, Oh, what, what Eric? But he, he convinced me that really gets character that matters. And I started to ask myself the question, well, how do you shape a char- character? Right. You tell stories. That's how societies have shaped character yeah. for eons. And if you look, I mean, if you want to be anti Hollywood, uh, you know how they, these people believe something and they produce things that give you that. Yeah. So yeah, supporting belief. <laughs> so, so do, so create something friends, like create something that you can put into the world that can shape how uh, people perceive things. I'm not a huge, we started watching the chosen. It's interesting. I'm a little, I, I'm always, when people are really excited about stuff, I'm always a little bit <laughs> has uh, reserved. Right. But uh, it's interesting, right? It is. It does cause us to ask questions. It prompts qu- conversations in our family about, would Jesus really have done that? What was that like? What, why would, cause I'm, I got an MDiv. So I'm like, every, I'm the resident Bible expert. Yeah. So people, my kids are asking me. And so then I get to, <laughs> I get to share that. Right. That's how it works. And we have to think about it. So maybe you're called to create something in order to help create a culture. What, how do you, how do you look at that? Yeah. So yes, uh, would be my answer to that, but yeah, yeah I mean, it, just the example that you gave, um, if you want people to believe a certain thing, and if you look at the Hollywood or whatever example you want to bring out, they create content around those beliefs. Um, so whether it be, you know, I don't want to get into any. <laughs> yeah, I intentionally yeah. left out the, yeah. the issues. Yeah, but that's but okay. <laughs> it, whatever issue uh, or whatever side of the fence you fall on, whether conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, Christian, non-Christian, if you look at those news channels, if you look at those mediums, they're going to produce content that supports a belief. It's never news for news sake is is very rare. Mm. Very much, very it's not very much. So here's what happened. Just the facts. Here's what happened. Everything that we see in the content producing world has an underlying or almost everything. I don't want to go at everyone, but a lot of the things that we see have a, have an underlying twist to the story and it paints the picture of this happened. Therefore you mentioned this earlier about um, like brain our brains. Right. And that's part of your, part of your framework because we're wired to make meaning, right? Yeah. Our brains are wired to make meaning. So, how can you, you can't really like, I, I spent a long, long time growing up in kind of conservative circles where we get really mad about what people are trying to say in the news or wherever. Right. Like, like, Oh, well they just, but look, you can't help it. You can't fault somebody for creating meaning out of something that happened because they're human. And mm-hmm. if you're human, that's what you do. By default. Absolutely. Yeah. You're for example, I guess it would have, it's probably ingrained in our DNA. Um, it protects us. Right. So you touch a stove, you realize it's hot. Therefore this equals heat or a fire or whatever it may be. So when we see those things, we go, I remember that it triggers. This means that to protect us. So mm-hmm. it's the same way. And now I'll mention this, the the, the danger 
of this now is that these attention engineers, these algorithm designers have made it to where they show you more of what you already believe. They show you more of what you already right. um, have a preconceived notion as about as truth. So if you are false and you do believe in a <clears throat> false idea, it's going to show you more and more to support that bias. That's the danger because yeah. we really have people who are hundred percent confidently wrong. <laughs> right. Which is very interesting. I also, so I think the algorithm actually might be the, the single greatest danger of our time. Right. But I'm, I am, so I know there's a big debate right at the moment about TikTok and Congresses and all this stuff. But the thing that TikTok did that is really fascinating is it started to give you things that were different, right? Mm -hmm. That were, face, even Facebook and all these other people are having to copy because, hello, people want that, right? People need, yeah. they need to be challenged a little bit. They need to be think outside of their box. So uh, anyway, that's really interesting. All right. I love it. I love it all. I could talk about culture forever. One of the reasons I'm passionate about podcasting is because you get the chance to shape uh, culture by creating something. I don't care what your format is. I don't care what you do. Uh, you could do interviews like I do. You could monologue like, you know, whoever uh, you like, but, um, and you could be creative with it. You could tell stories. I have a friend who does one about uh, this almost Christian history and the science, the history of the Christian church. And he does a great sort of documentary style. I don't care what you do, but you do it, create it. If you feel like God's calling you to do it, you need to do it. Um, all right. So, Alex, I inserted my agenda in there a little bit, but uh, I appreciate no, you going down that road because that's what I love to do. Um, you have lots of resources for us at your website, which is alexcaesar.com. That's S-E-Z-E-R, right? Yes, sir. People can find it there, including um, you have a Culture Catalyst, a guide to purposeful and profitable organizations. Where can people find that and what will they find there? Yep. Same deal. Alex Caesar, S E Z E R dot com, S E Z E R dot com, Alex Caesar dot com. Um, in that, you'll find, you know, how to write a vision statement, how to uh, write a mission statement that actually matters and influence daily operations. You'll learn how to discover organizational purpose and how that produces perseverance. Um, you'll learn how to find and equip and uh, run off the wrong people, but find and equip the right people as well. So how to build a team that can scale your company without losing that organizational identity, um, amongst other things, building a brand that's, you know, ROI driven, respected and recognized. Um, and you'll see it all on the website as well. So vision, mission, purpose, core values, branding, team building and building a culture authentically. You'll learn what culture is, why it matters and how it is created. Um, so absolutely. Thank you so much. I love it. Thanks for being here. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Oh man. Love God with all your heart and love people. If you can do those two things, you got it. It doesn't have to be a lot more said. I love it. Thanks a lot, Alex. Thank you so much, Eric. I appreciate it.